welcome to this episode of The Authentic Advisor, which discusses and debates the hot topics impacting business advisors globally. My name is James Mason. I'm today joined by Mark Koziel, the President and CEO of Alineal Global, which is a global association of accounting firms, to talk with me today about the top global accounting trends and future opportunities he sees for firms. So welcome, Mark. Thanks, James. Yeah, great to have you join us today. And looking back over your history, you've been working in the accounting industry for 30 plus years or so. So I think well-placed to talk on the, the current future trends impacting the industry. But I thought it'd be good to just hear a bit more about Alineal Global and about your journey to date that's led you to taking the CEO role in, in mid-2020. Yeah, right in the middle of the pandemic, right? Yeah, yeah. Good yeah, back so, to fire. So yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's been an interesting ride so far, but I started my career as a CPA here in the United States in Buffalo, New York. I practiced with two mid-sized firms there uh, for 15 years before leaving Buffalo to the sunny warmth of North Carolina to join the American Institute of CPAs at the time to run a firm practice division. But then over a 14-year career there, I ended up in senior leadership up through August of 2020 when I took the Alineal role. And, you know, it's interesting because over that time, I've had opportunities to leave the AICPA. AICPA taught me a lot about, you know, really what you want to talk about are these accounting trends and how do we keep member firms informed. And so in leaving AICPA, I always said I wanted to go to an organization where I had the ability to still do that but more directly help firms on a day-to-day basis. And I really feel like I, I have that fit at a lineal. And we've been doing some amazing things around that. So we are the second largest firm association of accounting firms, independent accounting firms, 245 firms last tally, I think, uh, about 4.5 billion in overall represented revenues. Uh, we grew or we added a half a billion in revenue uh, just last year. Uh, with a number of firms that have come on. And for us, it's about the diversity of size of firm that becomes really important. So we have firms that are as small as a, a million dollars US up through uh, half a billion. Uh, so, you know, the and that diversity of firm size, diversity of thought, diversity of experience becomes really important and how the firms can help each other becomes really important. So it's great to be on the front lines again. Yeah, and uh, that's something I've always admired about Alineal as well, the diversity. I mean, great great people, great culture, um, but I think getting that cross-pollination of ideas from the, the larger firms and their journeys and the smaller firms that are running a bit more, uh, I guess, a lot more nimble across things like technology and the like, um, it would give a great uh, diversity of thought when you get to a lot of the events, which I'm, I'm sure you're hoping to get back more face-to-face of in the, the coming 12 months or so. Absolutely. Yep. Yeah, great. So what, what are you seeing over the next five years? Would you say the top trends the accounting industry need to have their head around and, and, and why would that be? You know, I don't think they've changed much, interestingly enough. I mean, people want to say, well, pandemic related this and pandemic related that. The fact is we were already becoming a flexible environment as a profession. That's not new. Uh, it just was accelerated for a lot of firms who may have fought that initiative over time. And I've looked at the, you know, we've talked about the five top issues of firms. We were always doing a survey every other year at AICPA about that. And so, you know, the people issue always and mm-hmm. still there, although there's a couple of pockets, a couple of countries where they're not 
feeling the issue of trying to find talent as much as as others. So this trend around uh, people, staffing uh, is still top of mind, flexibility of that staffing, top of mind, technology and technology implementation as part of that. And, you know, the increase in client demands overall. Uh, mm-hmm. And so all of that, you know, has the profession changed or has the services changed? The services themselves haven't changed, but what's being asked from our client has changed and the greater demands and the greater level of service has changed over that. And I think that that's going to continue well into the future. So, you know, top, definitely technology, you know, successions up there uh, as an issue. People uh, take staffing separately from flexibility. And then I think really, um, you know, these, these being able to grasp the opportunities that are, are, are in front of us. And there's going to be continual added services that I think firms need to be implementing faster than they may have in the past. Yeah. And you're hearing time and time again, people, I guess, on the people issue, uh, trying to free up capacity. Are you seeing any strategies that are playing out that are working well across a, a more of the progressive firms? Totally. I mean, when we talk about capacity, it's interesting. And it it happens on several fronts that I've had a lot of conversations with our member firms. First and foremost, this capacity thing and firms to say, I could grow if I can only find the people. And I would say, you know what, you're searching for either a unicorn or some type of an awful employee, because that's all that's left. Everything else has been picked over. So now, rather than just focusing on the fact that we have this capacity issue, how are we going to get the work done? And so in December, I I facilitated a panel at a a conference. It was really around technology, growth, and the like. And our session was on growth. And I had two of our larger firm CEOs with me who have grown substantially over the last five to 10 years, more than double easily to be hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue is where they're at today. They were still practicing in the same economies as everyone else, but they figured out a way to do it. And a lot of what one of the CEOs, Charlie Weinstein, CEO of Eisner said during that session, he said, you know, whenever we look at a particular thing that we do, we say, first and foremost, can we automate it? If we can't automate all of it, can we automate a portion of it? If we can't automate either parts of it, then can we outsource it? They have their own indie operation now, so not really outsourcing, but Hmm. insourcing for them, but for other firms, outsourcing. And if we can't outsource it, then can we find the people or acquire another practice or whatever else? So many firms have focused on the people problem and have dedicated a ton of energy in trying to find the people who don't exist versus other firms who have progressed have found other ways to get the work done. Mm -hmm. But there's a lot of other change management issues that fall within that whole issue that firms have to figure out first. Governance, pricing, all of these things, because hours times rate is not going to get you to the future. And finding different ways to uh, be able to articulate value to your client becomes incredibly important. Yeah, uh, some great, great points. And, you know, then it touches on, you know, getting the right culture and being able to attract and retain uh, those good people. I said to one firm that was looking for a unicorn the other day that they probably need to be happy with a good looking horse. 
uh, <laughs> looking for looking for the unicorn because uh, uh, I'm, I'm with you. They just seem to be constantly searching for that you know 10 out of 10 fit rather than actually you know blending the uh, the strategy. So right, yeah, it, it defies logic to be yeah. honest, in a lot of how we're managing that. And I know, you know, what MindShop does in the advisory services, which we love and encourage for our member firms, and we're trying to get our firms, if we were to take client accounting very specifically, which is an incredibly high growth area, and this is a global opportunity. Hmm. Uh, when you just take a look at that, and what we should be doing with our client from an advisory standpoint, all the great tools and resources you have to help firms get to that point, Many firms will just say, yeah, but I can't get there because I don't have the time because we're doing all these other things. Mm -hmm. And the conversations then for me, I immediately take it into, all right, what do we need to outsource? Give me your bottom 25%. Let's look at those and let's find a way for that to pull out that time consuming, must be done in house issue, pull that into outsourcing or you know, there's other companies that have a automation, bot technology combined with outsourcing, let's get those out of the way. But then, you know, it's again, governance, accountability. If we don't have those things in place to say, now we are going to focus on those other things and we're going to be accountable for that. That's the way that we're going to be able to grow that practice. Yeah. And that's the cart before the horse. And normally the right person to drive those initiatives is also the busiest and because they're a magnet for opportunities and problems. And um, so, yeah, it's a delicate balancing act. And and that probably leads me into my next question. You, you've, again, been in the industry for quite some time and I've been hearing for decades that, you know, compliance was dead and AI is going to automate them out, everybody out of business. And, and that's never turned into a reality. I think, in fact, many firms have embraced a lot of the emerging technologies, kept their prices high, not seeing pushback from clients and actually profitably, you know, growing, uh, which, is, which is great. So what, what's your views on that narrative that we've seen come out in the industry time and time again? I, you know, for all those years at AICPA and thinking about the U.S. market specifically and what we are licensed to do as CPAs, the one thing we are licensed to do is an audit. And everybody wants to beat up on the audit. And I'm going to here to defend the audit today as a former auditor. But I also think that it's absolutely right. The one thing we have, you know, that monopoly on is an audit. And so why is it that we keep beating ourselves to death about pricing on that, or to be able to say that this is a commodity service that we provide, all of these things that I hear negatively about it. And I take the same tack. So as I see firms progressing today, an audit is an example. So if I want to specialize in construction contractors, it's important for me to have audit clients in construction client accounting service clients in construction, tax clients in construction, so that I know the total market. If I do audit, then I'm probably not going to do the day-to-day -day client accounting or, or the advisory even at some point because of some level of independence that I have. But you know, this is where inside of Alineal Global, we're talking every day about you know, spreading the commerce around. And the fact is, if I am doing the audit, I should want to have an Alineal Global member firm doing the client accounting and the advisory so that we can together work on, you know, that client service aspect of what needs to be there versus somebody else that's out there. You have mm. every ability to do that, but don't beat up on the audit. Uh, it is critical to the profession that we have that. All the other things we do, the advisory that you guys are so great at supporting, 
we have the ability to do that advisory because we have the permission in the marketplace based on the trust developed from us being auditors inside of what we do. So we can't lose that. That is the trust that we always want to maintain. And, and clients are prepared to pay for those, what always was perceived as you know, potentially low value work. But you know, you've touched on trust. It seems to be, you know, will be a continual component of people, you know, trusting their accountant that can still understand the numbers. And it's the blend of the two that I think seems to be the uh, competitive advantage for those firms that get this, this right and not sort of just, you know, outsourcing and saying, look, that's the low value work. But, you know, clients, I don't know what you're seeing, but I'm still prepared. I know for us personally, we still very much value the relationship we've got around the numbers because I trust that they get all that compliance piece right. That's right. And so even with the audit, as an example, and I said this before, we're still going to perform an audit, but now the value proposition has changed because we have such access to the data. Now we could do the audit differently since we can see 100% of the data very differently. And if that data is clean, we can do much more around data analytics to really dig in and hone in on the areas that are going to be the riskiest for that that client, right? So that is step one. That is going to change the game a little bit of how we do the audit. But then at the end of the day, when we hand the client uh, the audited financial statement, we can then say, and by the way, we took a good hard look at your data, and this is the story that it told. So that value added piece of the data analytics that we can share with the client, that is absolutely going to increase the value even more so for that audit. Yeah, uh, lots of opportunities out there. And I think that's what's probably driving. I'm seeing, again, another spate of you know, mergers and consolidation across the accounting industry as well, which is a merging trend. You know, it's the you know, big big players joining, small players bolting on. Um, you know, but I'm still seeing a high proportion that don't really play out as, as people uh, you know, assume they would, despite all the due diligence, despite all the systems and processes working on culture and everything. I mean, is there anything you've seen that are one or two keys to ensuring a merger successful in, in what you're seeing with the firms you're dealing with? It, it, it depends on the size of the firms and the merger taking place. I do think culture, absolutely. And while you're dating, everybody's going to be on their best behavior. But you really have to dig in to figure out if that culture is an absolute match inside of what you're going to do. What happens when you have, let's say, mergers of equals is there are concessions that are made on both sides that aren't the right business decisions, but they will you know, placate to the partners who are challenged by that particular merger. And that is, that is what drives some of the failures around some of these mergers that take place. You know, at some point, and I've said this to firms that, you know, it's funny how you could have a couple hundred million dollar firm merge in a $20 million firm and a $20 million firm says, yep, we're going to have, we're going to be on the board and we're going to do this and we're going to do that. But then at some point in time, that a couple hundred million dollar firm finally sits down with that firm and says, by the way, this was not a merger of equals. This was a hostile takeover. And you are going to comply with all the things that we do because we've already got it figured out. Hmm. And I think that that discussion and those firms that get tucked in in a different way. Yeah, they could provide access to a lot of things uh, for that smaller firm. And the smaller firm has to realize that when they are merging like that, they are entrusting in that larger firm to help take them to the next level for their clients and the like and be able to do it. They could have a, a certain specialty that absolutely can have immediate impact on the, on the larger firm, but 
you know, all of the other things they've been through these mergers before, um, you know, understanding your role as it comes through, I think becomes really important. So is it about having more of those authentic conversations and discussions around strategy and direction and culture up front, you're feeling? Yeah, authenticity. And I love the, the fact that you use that term uh, is is absolutely paramount in that, all of it. I mean, being authentic with a merger candidate, being authentic with our team, being authentic with clients, all of that, I think, becomes really important. And so there are no politics in these discussions. There shouldn't be. If we're going to be true leaders and we're going to really progress, we have to assume positive intent on both sides and we have to be open, honest and authentic in how we have those conversations. So speaking of, of strong leaders, uh, you know, when you look at the firms that are succeeding in these current markets, and it has been great, I don't think many of the high performers are wasted of a crisis the last couple of years. Is there a trait that you're seeing of those high performing firms that, that is common? It is. It's the right governance structure. In fact, I've had a number of these conversations uh, in the last couple of months with some of our member firms. You know, it's this idea of there are some of our firms who have firm CEOs and there are some firms who have managing partners. And I tell those firms with managing partners that I have yet to meet a partner who could be managed. And so saying that you're going to, you know, uh, corral the, the troops is a very difficult venture. And to say one partner, one vote, you know, all of these things and a lot of firms that start off small and are trying to get to that next level, it is those firms that said, all right, we're putting in a corporate structure. We are going to entrust the CEO to lead the firm. That is going to be their one job when they wake up is worried about the firm. And so they're going to make decisions based on the best interests of the firm, not their particular little piece of the pie, but the overall interests of the firm. And I think that is a critical juncture for firms to really make it to the next level inside of what they do. It's leadership. And yeah. it is the partners understanding that their rate of return could be far greater if they create that environment that allows for it to be more of that corporate environment. Yeah, yeah, no, great, great point. So to, to round us off with some final uh, sort of quick fire uh, questions, uh, interested in your thoughts um, on some of the broader topics in, in the industry, but it, I'd like to always ask you, you know, what's the one most overhyped trend you're seeing in the accounting industry at the moment? It probably is technology. At the same time that a lot of firms are saying that technology is it. I mean, I could get into specific technologies around it, you know, blockchain, like to your point when you said it earlier about, you know, technology. I still don't get my head around that block. <laughs> right. And, and everybody said, well, blockchain is going to come in and people aren't going to need audits anymore. Well, somebody needs audit the blockchain, number one, but it does affect how we're going to do it, but it isn't going to eliminate the need to do it. And uh, so blockchain was always this kind of bigger hype, if you will. It's getting figured out, especially in supply chain related issues. Hmm. Um, you know, but I do think that so many firms think that technology is going to save their problems and it's not. And that's why I said that, you know, governance and pricing, all of those things need to be put in place. Otherwise, the technology that we bring in is not going to do what we're expecting it to do. Uh, you know, who cares about adding a technology and we're going to cut and create efficiencies? I don't like the word efficiency. I like effectiveness. But you create these efficiencies that we end up giving back to the client in some way, shape or form. Hmm. Uh, why is that if we've invested in it? And then a firm will say, well, now we're going to implement a technology charge 
on the bill to be able to compensate for the cost of the technology. But I'm like, wait a minute, it's not a cost, it's a value, mm. right? Mm. And the value of the actual engagement hasn't changed anything. It's just how, you, how you're delivering it. Mm. And so if that's the case, then we got to get our pricing right before we're starting to create all of these technologies or outsourcing. And so all the hype really is, I, I, need, I need AI, I need blockchain, I need this, this next great tool because that's going to be my answer. And, you know, if we're going to just give it back to the client uh, in, in discounts, what's the point? Yeah, absolutely. And I like the word you use there, tool. It's, you know, too many people are sort of fronting their offering with that rather than just using them as tools to, to service right. a need of the client and get them the outcome. The client doesn't care from my experience. So. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And and you, again, run a lot of global events like us, uh, hybrid or face-to-face or, or online. Or how, how are you grappling with that at the moment? Do you think hybrid events work? I think hybrid events can work if they're done right. And I think that they should be here to stay for a variety of reasons, you know, and this is uh, one of our board members, Jim Wallace is CEO of BPM. And Jim and I have worked uh, a lot together before I was even here. Uh, He was involved in a lot of the diversity and inclusion initiatives around AICPA and the profession here in the U.S. And we started to talk about these hybrid events and whether or not we're going to go back to live. Everybody says, you know, I can't wait to get back to live. Okay, great. You know what? You're going to have that experience, but we still need to offer a virtual option. Number one, we can actually get deeper into the firm. So we can have more people who are experiencing things without having to actually get on a plane and go. That's Mm -hmm. number one. Number two, from a diversity and inclusion perspective, if you're only offering live, you are not being very inclusive because you are going to have... Uh, team members who can't travel due to, you know, uh, raising a family, uh, caring for an elderly family, uh, or, you know, disabled and just not able to, or health risk factors prevent them from getting on a plane. We are not being very inclusive if we're not giving that virtual option. And so we, you know, we were going through this with our leadership training, trying to figure out a way because so many were saying, nope, we're only going to do it if it's live. Well, we're creating a virtual only option to do it. And I think in the hybrid environment, if if your session is eight hours a day, I don't think you just say, okay, well, we're going to have a virtual eight hour option with that. Yeah, my own term, you chunkify it a bit and you offer things in blocks so people can experience a portion of it virtually because they're never going to sit there for eight hours. No, great, great point. And uh, yeah, I think you've, you've got to definitely offer offer both. Um, but you, if you're doing to do a true hybrid, it's, it's got to be done well, absolutely. For sure. uh, so last question, uh, for your own uh, personal growth over the next 12 months, is there a capability area you're seeking to improve for you personally? Uh, for me, you know, it is understanding the technologies that are out there, the new service lines. So I'm spending a lot of time reading on ESG, uh, you know, environmental social governance and ESG kind of replacing what was at one time sustainability or integrated reporting that all of these things are coming together under one umbrella. Because this is going to be a massive opportunity for the profession in the next year, five years, 10 years so it's understanding that. But for me personally also, and working with my team, you know, we all get busy and we start to just do things in a rush. And it's taking that time to listen and gaining perspective. And 
I've been through leadership coaching a number of times. It's been incredibly helpful to me. And in the, in the best experiences, I feel like it is not up to me to solve others' problems. It is up to me to help coach them to go solve it themselves. And so when someone comes to me with a problem and I just give the answer and let them move on with it, well, they haven't developed themselves. And so then they're going to continually come back to me with that versus actually helping them coach to get to the right decision to be able to do it. We're getting better. I'm getting better at it. But, you know, in the rush of everything that we've been trying to do, it's always a challenge. And you kind of revert back into that comfort zone of just, you know, spewing out answers. Yet there's there's that coaching and development opportunity out there. Yeah, yeah, great, great point. Uh, Mark, thank you so much for taking the time. I know you're super busy. Um, some fantastic insights today, and I'm sure all our listeners are going to have uh, lots of great ideas they can take on board in their own strategies and planning for the year ahead. So thank you again. All right. Thank you, James. 